Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word today, Lord, we thank you for it, first of all. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that also speaks to us today through your word. And Lord, we ask you to bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, the man who said that to Jesus thought that he was right in thinking that the family inheritance should be divided equally in all fairness. And I suppose his brother was a follower or an admirer of Jesus, and therefore he expected that his brother would obey whatever Jesus said. But was that the whole context? We have no idea. And it doesn't even matter if there was more to, to it than that or not, because it was up to his parents, after all, to decide how their inheritance was divided. It was theirs until they gave it away. And if they had not divided it before their death, it was up to the courts to decide, not Jesus, just as it is now. Jesus, as always, answered well, this time saying, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? That was not Jesus' job or purpose when he came to this world the first time. His purpose was salvation. His purpose next time will be to judge, but nowhere does it say that he will be an arbitrator between men. Jesus was the, was the epitome of perfection when he was here, and he was a healer and a miracle worker. He was also an all-wise teacher, the all-wise teacher, and he did take the opportunity here to teach. As teacher and savior, Jesus came both to identify sin and to overcome it. And he recognized sin in every form, even the subtle ones, like here. And here he identified the sin of this man, which was covetousness, and said as a lesson, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Covetousness is a sin, a sin that's listed in the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Exodus 20:17. Covetousness is excessive desire to have what is not one's own. And this man wanted what his brother possessed. And Jesus in his teaching that follows, he goes further than pointing out the sin of covetousness. He shows that covetousness has a wrong basis altogether. The premise that one's life consists in the abundance of things one possesses. Jesus says in effect, it does not. And he goes on to illustrate that point with his parable. The ground of a certain man 
yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. What the rich man hadn't realized is that he was not in control of his own life. God was. As it says in Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. You know, the Israelites were warned against forgetting the Lord their God, and so should you and everyone else be. In that same chapter in verse 11, we read the warning, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you say in your heart, my power and might and the might of my hands have gained me this wealth. Remember the Lord your God. That's our problem. We don't remember the Lord our God when we begin to prosper, just like Israel did not remember. We think it's ourselves and we don't remember the Lord our God, for it is he who gives us the power to get wealth. If the rich man had realized that God was in control, maybe he would have done things differently. He was probably healthy and so he didn't consider his life ending soon. He had saved up for many years, but unbeknownst to him, he didn't have many years. Health is great, but sometimes it can be a blessing when our bodies begin to fail because it gives us the proper perspective. It helps us to realize that we are mortal. Our failing bodies can cause us to start planning for the end of this life and the beginning of the next. To get our spiritual houses in order, that's good and wise. As the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, Psalm 90, 12. It also causes us to realize how much we depend on God for both this life and the next. The rich man in this parable didn't have many days left but because of relative health, he hadn't considered that. One of the first things we should consider when we gain material possessions in this world after we have 
also considered that God has blessed us with them and thanked him is the fact that we are mortal and can't take anything with us when we die. We should therefore be wise stewards of all that we receive. Paul wrote to Timothy, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. That's 1 Timothy 6, 7. And you know, a will at least gives us that perspective. But it looks like the rich man in this parable didn't even go there. God said, then who will those things be which you have provided? The rich man apparently was not even thinking of his family or the poor, only himself. If you noticed, giving to the poor didn't even enter his thoughts. The man's plan had been to provide security for himself for many years to come. He said, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. A secure and blissful retirement, that had been his goal, a goal he never reached. Was there something wrong with that goal? Those goals are the same goals that manual life tells me to aim for. Well, Jesus clearly shows that there was something wrong. Eternity wasn't considered. It was also wrong because the man's idea of security was no security at all. It gave him no more days on this earth in which to indulge himself and enjoy his rest and retirement. And it actually worked against what could have been true eternal security. Temporal security and the merriness it may bring are not bad goals in themselves if they don't leave, lead to covetousness. If we realize that there is more to life than that, and if we understand and can control the, the vexes that come along with it, but those goals are not the most important because they are temporal and not eternal. There are most important only for the people who don't believe in the eternal. It is good when we are happy and have a healthy bank account and don't have to worry about how we're going to pay for our food and shelter and health care. Even in the Bible times, saving up for the future was encouraged. But we must realize that money cannot buy health and it cannot buy lasting happiness. And even in this world, health is more important than wealth. But what is most important is godliness because it pertains to this world and to the next. The Apostle Paul tells us, godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Well, what is godliness? Godliness is God-likeness, 
which comes from spending time in the presence of God, in his word, in prayer. It comes from acknowledging and respecting God. It is being mindful of God always, desiring to know and to obey God's will. It is being faithful in obedience to that will. God is who we get proper perspective from, and with proper perspective, we gain wisdom, the riches of God. Jesus, with this parable, is showing that those who live like the rich man, simply laying up material treasures for themselves on earth, will not end up enjoying those treasures. He says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, what is it to be rich toward God? It is being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who died for that purpose, the purpose of reconciling us to God. And he made the way for godliness. Being rich toward God is being a friend of God. And that is better than being a valued friend of the richest and most righteous person on earth. It is having an ongoing relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is seeking simply to trust God and to do our best to hear him and to please him. It is enjoying the benefits of that relationship. And all that we are required to do once we have that relationship is to maintain it, but we even maintain it by his spirit as well. How do we get there? We get there through Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all those material things will be added to you. That's from Matthew 6, 33. And he says here in Luke, do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what are we to do as Christians instead of coveting? We simply look forward to our promised inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. That is what we should do. In the end, Jesus' adv Jesus's advice was the opposite of what the man at the beginning was seeking from his brother. Jesus said, sell what you have and give alms. And obviously, he's not telling everyone to sell what they need, but to sell the things that we don't need, the things that encumber us. And always consider and give to the poor. People back then didn't have the social structures that we have in Canada today. The poor and the sick depended on the kindness of others, not the government. And who knows, maybe it was better that way. Simply throwing money at poor people 
does very little to help them. In many cases, it simply makes them targets to be victimized by others who take advantage of them. Today, we still have poor. Yes, in other parts of the world, but we even have poor on our West Island. If you don't believe me, uh, go and spend some time in the neighborhood where the Lacord Center is, around there. Get involved with, with that center and, and the people there if you can. Jesus said, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Well, you do that by helping the poor and the needy financially, but also by telling them about Jesus and discipling them. Remember what Jesus will say to the righteous when he returns in glory and separates the righteous from the wicked and gives the righteous their inherited kingdom. He will say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's Matthew 25, 35 to 36. When the righteous asked him when that, when that happened, Jesus replied, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So you can see in that how much you love Jesus. What about our treasures? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the danger of possessions being consumed by the thought of them, wasting time, energy, and money on preserving and protecting them. For who? For our children, maybe? But does giving to them freely really help them? It does, of course, when they are in need or when they are establishing themselves but sometimes it actually works the other way. One of my uncles, who was a very hard-working man, used to say, one generation works hard and gets ahead. The next generation enjoys the prosperity from the previous one's work, and the third generation squanders it. I wonder how much truth is there. That's another reason we have to look beyond this life to heaven and be aware of the subtle pitfalls of covetousness while, while journeying, journeying through this life. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
And then he says to, to Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You know, it's not that we don't need money to live and to trade with, we do. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he is talking about is that we will be accountable for what we do with our time and our possessions. Actually, if we're God's servants, they're his time and his possessions. How much time and money do we spend preserving our possessions? We should put that to work for eternity, for the kingdom of God. I did some quick figures, and I figure I spend somewhere around $5,000 on insurance each year, and I'm not that heavily insured. That figure is doubled if you count my medical insurance that the church pays for. How much is that over a lifetime? I wonder if God will hold us accountable for that. Why wouldn't he? Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. What is that life that Jesus is speaking of? Again, it is life in relationship to him, depending on him and acknowledging him in all places, in all situations, for everything with thankfulness. God gives life, both temporal and eternal, but we also must lay hold of it as the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. Well, how is that done? Paul says it's done by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Financial independence is good only when it frees us up to occupy our time with godly things and helping others. Paul gave this message to the Christians who were wealthy at his time. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Of course, that's what Jesus said first. There is one sure way that Jesus shows to avoid the pitfalls of wealth. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do again thank you for your promises, the promises that we find so easily and readily in your word available to us, Lord. Lord, help us to take them by faith, Lord. Help us to be able to to walk in this life in relationship with you because of all that you did for us, Lord, on the cross and all that you keep doing and interceding for us and, and giving us your spirit that we may walk in your light. And we thank you for this, Lord. We ask you to bless us this week as we go about our our work and duties, Lord, our life, Lord, help us to be, Lord, reflecting you and your goodness and your mercy toward us, Lord. Help us to, Lord, to be lights to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.